Well, it is, uh, it's interesting to stop and think sometimes and reflect on our lives uh, and, and to think about the, the many influences and uh, forces that are at work in the world uh, and, and events, things from our past that are giving shape to who we are even right now. Do you ever stop and just think about that trail of events and, and people and experiences and even just kind of uh, influences in the world that are giving shape to who you are? Uh, we like to think that we have free will, and, and we do, and that's a, that's, a, that's a doctrine that we want to hold on to very, very clearly. And yet, if we're not careful to reflect upon the influences all around us, then, then, then we easily and quickly sort of hand over our free will to those influences and forces. Um, in, in my own life, it's interesting for me, kind of the older I get and the more I do and say, uh, it's fun for me to sort of see the different ways that people have influenced my life. And uh, I, I find myself saying things sometimes, and as soon as I say them, I, I think, wow, that was my dad right there. As soon as I said that, it was like, oh, that was weird. Or, or I'll, I'll be in a, a meeting or uh, some sort of an interaction, a one-on-one time, and I'll hear some words coming out of my mouth, and I'll be like, man, that is exactly like this particular mentor that I had in, in college or in seminary. Even while I'm preaching, sometimes words will start to come out of my, my mouth, and I'll be like, wow, that is... That sounds exactly like my pastor that I had back when I was in seminary. And these influences of people, sometimes when I'm shooting a jump shot, I'll be like, wow, that's just like Steph Curry. I, I don't have any idea that is exactly like Steph Curry. Maybe not quite like, but it's similar to, nah, it's nothing like uh, Steph Curry. Maybe, maybe you've had some some, some experiences, again, or some influences in, in your life. Maybe you can remember seasons of your life that have had an impact on you. We, we, our family had one this past fall with a health concern in our family. And maybe you can think back to a health concern or a crisis or a personal, just personally traumatic experience, and you can think back to that time and, and the influence or the shape that it has had on your life from that point on to now. Uh, maybe when, you're, when you're, uh, uh, you find yourself humming that commercial jingle or, you know, something like, isn't our church really fun? You know, something like, or, or when, you, um, when you find yourself craving some particular food or, or a, a restaurant, if you'll stop and reflect, you'll be aware that that the advertising and marketing influences of our world have, have gotten down deep inside of you. I've shared this story about my son, and it was a long time ago, but uh, I, it, I asked him just to turn the light off, and I said, Bud, can you turn the light off? And he said, yeah, Dad, yeah, Bud, light. Dad, Bud, light. The difference is drinkability. And I was like, we've been watching way too much football. We've been watching way too many commercials. And, uh, and it just the, the, the power of the media and the culture and the marketing influences to, 
to sort of get into our minds and our hearts and begin to shape us in ways that we're aware of, but if we're not careful in ways that we're, we're unaware of. We feel ourselves maybe starting to lean a certain direction in the presidential campaign. And we recognize that it's probably because of something that has been said, something that we've heard from one of the candidates or by one of their supporters. Maybe we feel ourselves dissatisfied with our performance or our appearance or our status or our number of Instagram followers or the number of retweets that we're getting. And, and maybe we can use this as a trigger to recognize the, 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 the amount of influence that we allow the societal pressures of our world to have over us. Where does that need to conform to society come from? Where does that, where does that arise? We recognize that there, there are these forces, these people, these influences that are exerting power over us. Well, amidst all of these forces and influences at work in our world and in our lives, shaping our thinking and our behavior, there is one in particular that we are wanting to think about during this season of Lent, leading up to Good Friday and to Easter. And it's an, it's an influence that will, that will hopefully, uh, if it isn't already, become an ongoing and an ever-increasing influence in each of our lives. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. You may say, well, of course, the cross influences my life. But, but really, how much does the cross have influence and exert uh, uh, power in, in our lives? We want to ask ourselves in these weeks this simple and yet very profound question, what difference does the cross of Jesus Christ make in my life? And we want to, of course, pay very close attention to the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. It is in the cross and on the cross where Jesus made possible our forgiveness, where he made possible this this, this being liberated from sin, where he made possible this redemption that, that we can experience because of what he has done for us on the cross. And we've sung about that so beautifully and powerfully this morning. This is very obviously important and, and very significant as we think about the impact of the cross. But we also want to take it maybe another step that we haven't often thought about, and that's that's this idea of how does the cross not only affect our salvation, our redemption, and our forgiveness, but how does the cross of Jesus Christ impact the way that we live our lives on a daily basis? How does what Jesus did there on the cross impact the, the relationships of our lives and the interactions and the, the words that we say and the choices that we make? How do we allow the cross of Jesus Christ, what happened there to exert this sort of influence in our lives. We want to get at that question uh, uh, even more so, not only what difference does the cross make in our lives, but what does it mean for us to live now in, in the light of the cross? Or, or you might sort of think of it as maybe you've heard, under the shadow of the cross. What does it mean for us to live our lives right there, to to allow our thinking and our behavior to be shaped and formed by what took place there. Well, the word 
cruciform is, uh, that we're using as a title for this series was used in the past to describe items that were shaped like a cross. And we would look at churches and, and many church buildings, uh, historic ancient church buildings were built sort of in the shape of a cross. It was a cruciform church, the floor plan. We've looked at the arrangement of leaf blades or petals on a flower, even parts of our bodies like ligaments and certain and, and just how DNA is shaped is, is given this title of being cruciform. It, it's in the form of a cross. It's cross-shaped. In recent years, though, and this is what we want to get at, a growing number of Christian leaders and thinkers have been using the word cruciform not only to refer to the physical cross, that thing, and to, our, and to those things that, that are shaped like it physically, but are using this phrase to refer to Jesus' nature, his form in going to the cross, how he lived, how he acted, what he displayed in going to the cross, and then in addition to that, then how we can be formed after this nature of Jesus. To be cruciform, then, I just want to make sure you're not stumbling at the title of the series. To be cruciform, then, in the way we're using the word, is a commitment to be more like Jesus. Especially in terms of the attitudes and the disposition, the convictions that he demonstrated in his death on the cross, of all the influences that give shape to our lives, could there be any more significant? Of all the influences, of all the people, of all the events, of all the marketing and advertising at work in the world, those things that we're aware of and we're not, could there be anything more significant in terms of an influence on our lives and to think about what Jesus has done? And how we're to live in the light of what he has done on the cross. To be cruciform. Look at this passage from Luke chapter 9. I think I've got this here. Yeah. Can you read this with me? This is Jesus talking. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? This whole idea that Jesus talks to his disciples and all those who are listening to him about picking up their cross. About picking up their cross. This is what it means to be cruciform. The cross is not only the means then by which our sins are forgiven, but it's the, it's the template, it's the paradigm, it's the pattern for all subsequent Christian living. Taking up our cross, as Jesus spoke about, becomes this metaphor for this, this full devotion. All that we have is yours, Jesus. I want to live in the same way that you did as you went to the cross. It's a specific invitation to take up our cross, to intentionally pattern our lives after what Jesus has done for us. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Read this one with me too, would you? 
For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. This is the verse that gave rise a number of years ago now. Our children and teenagers probably won't even remember the WWJD phenomenon. Uh, and even maybe some young adults don't remember that. Uh, but the bracelets, what would Jesus do? And you remember, it was all it was plastered everywhere. But Peter wants to say more to us than simply, what would Jesus do? He wants to say, ask us, how would Jesus do it? Not only what would Jesus do, but how would Jesus do it? Because in his suffering, in his display of, of love on the cross, he he, he gave of himself in specific and meaningful ways and set again for us a pattern, a paradigm. The cross, as one writer put it, becomes not only the crude wooden implement used by the Romans to torture people to death, but the very shape of Christian holiness, of discipleship, and of mission. And so, when we ponder the cross, which is what we want to do during this season leading up to Good Friday and Easter. As we reflect on the cross, as we ponder its significance and its meaning, we want to just sort of live into the cross, humbling ourselves, thinking about the disposition of Jesus, about the attitude of Jesus as he came to the cross, emptying ourselves, trusting not in our own wisdom, Insisting not on our own ways, doing nothing out of selfish ambition, seeking not our own advantage, sacrificing our rights and our privileges, giving up ourselves for the sake of the lost, the vulnerable, and the neglected. What difference does the cross make? Well, hopefully a lot. So last week, Danny got us started and he talked to us about, about submission. And he talked to us about Jesus in the garden. Were you here? And, and you remember this? If you weren't, um, you missed it. And I don't think it got recorded, so you can't go back. But um, it was awesome. And we, and we talked about the importance of each of us going to the Garden of Gethsemane, just like Jesus did as he approached the cross. And he prayed that prayer, take this cup from me, Father. But if not, then, then not my will be done, but your will be done. This prayer of submission. And, and we talked about the, the question of whether or not you can follow Christ wholeheartedly without being completely surrendered to him. And we decided that really, actually, you cannot. And it's the importance of being fully submitted, fully surrendered to God and to his will and purposes for our lives. So today we want to keep going with Jesus on his journey to the cross, and to think particularly about another aspect of, of who he was and what he did and, and what he accomplished in his death, and it's the idea of sacrifice. What do we learn about sacrifice? What do we learn about setting aside our own rights and privileges, about setting aside our own desires and wants from the way Jesus came to the cross uh, in, in Scripture? How does his sacrifice there on the cross shape our approach to sacrifice. And to help us, I want us to look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10, we'll read verses 35 to 
to 45. An amazing little story. Let's stand together, can we? It'll be on the screen as well. Let me read this for us. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. At the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. For then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Don't you just kind of know at that point that this story is going in the wrong direction? Yeah. Yeah, you kind of have that sense, right, early on. What is your request? Playing along, Jesus asked. (laughs) They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Who actually would be on the right and left of Jesus when he came into his glory on the cross? The thieves, right? Criminals. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples, this is where it gets really good, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had said, they were indignant. There are other translations for that phrase as well. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you... It will be different. Say that with me. It will be different. It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. James and John come to Jesus influenced by the power structures of the world in which they live. Influenced by the culture all around them in which it was grab the power. This is how it works. Hierarchy, structure, authority. Those on top are over and in charge of those beneath them. And these are the ones who get the acclaim. These are the ones who deserve that rightful spot. These are the ones who are looked up to. And so James and John are shaped by this kind of thinking. They're, th- they're shaped by, by what's in the air all around them. And they come to Jesus with this sort of mindset and just expect that what's going on in the world around them is what is going on in terms of their interaction with him and the way he runs things. And so it's a very simple request. Shouldn't be that big of a deal. This is just how things work in the world, right, Jesus? So we've been pretty tight. We're part of the inner circle. James and John must be thinking we're the ones that you take with us when you want to go do special things. So just to make sure that this transfers over from this life to the next, can we just get a little, you know, a little insurance, a little assurance that that we will be in these places of privilege and these places of honor in the days to come? 
Uh, I think it's in Matthew where uh, Matthew at least has their mother making the request for James and John. This takes a little bit of the heat off of them, right? Because now, I mean, we look at these guys and we're like, oh, man. If it was their mom, we'd be like, well, that's what moms do. But, but um, you know, when it's them saying it, we're like, oh, man, James and John, how could you be so wrong? And, and Jesus, just to say to them, what is your request? I just love the tone of that. And his invitation just to let them just kind of just fumble all over the place, right, as they go into their requests. Power, hierarchy, influence. This is what we want. Influenced by that around them, the world around them, the culture around them. This is what they think how it should work in the, in the kingdom of God as well. The others, disciples hear about this. They are quote unquote indignant and dissension begins to fill the ranks. And you hear the story and you can just imagine the scene them going at it, each other, and the other disciples just kind of, you know, choosing their side and saying, who do you guys think you are? Well, you, you know who we are, da-da-da-da-da. And Jesus calls them all together to remind them about the true nature of what it means to be a disciple. True nature of what it means to be a follower of his. And he talks about the contrast between the hierarchical power structures of that world and that society that was alienated from God and the contrast between that and the, and the, 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 the servant structures of life in the new community. Instead of power, Jesus says there will be suffering. Are you ready for that? Instead of prestige, Jesus says there will be there will be servanthood, and, and he not only uses that sort of nicer word, but there will be, there will be slavery. There will be, and, and to speak that word in that day was as repulsive as it is to speak it in our day, and the disciples would have been completely put back by that. But this is what it means to live sacrificially in the kingdom. Rulers in this world, Jesus says, lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Greatness in that day was defined by power and coercion. But Jesus is blunt, and we heard him say it, and we need to hear him say it again to us. This is not how we'll, we'll be among you. This is not how it will be among us. It will be different. That phrase pretty much sums up everything that we need to know about the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. It will be different. And especially as we think about positions of power and influence and leadership, it will be different. Leaders will be servants. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to everyone. And the supreme example of this, as Jesus builds towards that final statement. This is a passage that by no means sort of kind of, you know, just drifts off in the end. He's building to that final statement in verse 45. The supreme example of this kind of sacrifice, this kind of servanthood, is the Son of Man, speaking of himself. The Son of Man. The best example of the, will, the one willing to suffer, the one willing to die, will be 
Jesus himself. The Son of Man, as he says, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. To give his life as a ransom for the many. He's the one. He's the one who will offer his life for the sins of all of humanity. He's the one, as we sang so powerfully and beautifully this morning, that will, that will take our place. He's the one who will take his place in the grand plan of the almighty God in bringing about the possibility of forgiveness and hope and new life for all those who would put their faith in him. He's the one who will take the sin of all the world on his shoulders as he steps into that place and accepts the punishment for our sin. He is the one who will offer himself so that we might be set free. When I looked up sacrifice in the uh, dictionary, the online dictionary, those who might be worried that I'm still using a, an actual book, I mean, who would do that? Uh, when, I, when I looked up sacrifice, there were two examples, two particular examples that, that sort of rung true for me. One was chess. That, that didn't ring tr- really true for me, but I'm sure there are some people in this room who love chess. And you know this better than I, but there are moments in the game of chess where in order to accomplish the, the grand plan of getting that checkmate, right? That's what we call it in chess. Um, then there are sacrifices that need to be made. And sometimes, in fact, we have to sacrifice, whether it be a pawn, sometimes it might even be a more significant chess figure that needs to be sacrificed so that the grand strategy of the chess game might be accomplished. This Jesus who was sacrifice so that the grand scheme, the grand plan of God might be accomplished. The other one was a little bit more in my wheelhouse. It was baseball. And uh, the sacrifice bunt, the, the, the batter who, who, who just taps the ball, who makes sure to make contact with it with their bat and, and hits it in such a place that the, that the defense will get them out at first base. I realize some of this makes no sense to some of you, but we'll get them out at first base while the other runners will advance to their other bases. And in sacrificing themselves, this batter will make a way that the, that the strategy, the plan, the success of the team will go forward. Here again, this idea, Jesus being that one who would give of himself who would offer himself as a sacrifice. Usually in Little League, when the batter gets the sign to bunt, he kind of kicks the dirt and kind of looks at his coach and says, in every way that they can, without shaking their head, I don't want to do that. I want to swing the bat. I want to get a chance to be on base myself. And yet that's what they're asked to do. Jesus, too, willing not shaking his head, settling the deal in the garden, I will give of myself. I will offer myself fully so that the plans and purposes of God might be accomplished. We celebrate. We celebrate the uniqueness of Jesus' death as the means of redemption. Without his death on the cross, Just get this clear in case there's any question in your mind. 
Without his death on the cross, there is no redemption. There is no freedom. There is no forgiveness. So we hold on to and we celebrate his death on the cross. And we learn then to live like this one. Not only do we celebrate his sacrifice, but we internalize it and we learn to live like this one who has given of himself. We take seriously the call to cruciform, sacrificial living in the world in which we live, just as Jesus demonstrated in the cross, just as the Son of Man came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many, so all those who are His followers live this way into the world. So all who are His followers come to serve and to give our lives. Since He gave of Himself sacrificially, first in service to the world, then ultimately by giving of His life for the world. So his disciples, so we are instructed to give sacrificially of ourselves as well. We're taking his form. We're invited to take his cruciform in the way in which we live. The shape of sacrifice. So what does this look like for us? What ways does the example of Jesus and the cross contribute to my understanding of how to deal with the, the situations that I come into in, in the world? What will cruciform sacrifice look like for you? What will, what will the, the, the sacrifice that Jesus displayed, not coming to be served, but to serve, not, not taking uh, power and authority, but giving of ourselves, giving of our lives. What does that look like? What will it look like to serve? What will it look like to give? What is the sacrifice? I'm, by the way, I'm not going to tell you if you're waiting for the answer to that, but I'll ask you more questions. What will it look like? What will it look like for you to live a cruciform, sacrificial life in your family? talked about family for a few weeks, a couple weeks ago. What will it look like for you to live cruciform, sacrificially? Not being served, but serving. Not taking, but giving in your marriage, if you're married. What will it look like at my workplace? What will it look like in my neighborhood? What will it look like in the persecution so-called that we may endure in this place where we live and not to downplay some of the significant persecution that we might experience. What will it look like to live cruciform sacrifice in the relationships of our lives? What will it look like to live cruciform sacrifice in the community of faith? What will it look like to to not wait to be served, but to serve one another in the community of faith. Not to look to gain power, but to give ourselves away among each other. Jesus talked about this with his disciples. I think I have that passage from John 15. Is that there? 
This is my commandment, Jesus said to his disciples. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is what cruciform sacrifice looks like among the people of God, among the body of Christ. And the story directly challenges the way we interact not only among and with one another, but the way we interact as a community with the world. Let's not forget that aspect of it as well. What does it look like for a community of faith who are living cruciform together to then, as a body of believers, live sacrificially in the world in which we live? Where our lives together, where are our lives together as the holy people of God reflecting the self-giving, sacrificial love of God? In the world, I, Aaron shared about our teenagers last Sunday, but if you missed it or if you kind of just didn't get the whole story, uh, last Friday and Saturday our teens had a retreat. And uh, if you're anything like most teens, when you hear the word retreat, you think snow, check, had it. Um, snow piped in from Newhall, of all places, out onto the hillside out there for them to work on. But, but you also think of just staying up late and not getting a whole lot of sleep. Check. Got that one too. If you observed the, the, the youth who are part of the retreat, and in particular the youth workers who are part of the retreat last Sunday. In fact, they still might be in, in recovery mode this Sunday. Uh, there was not a whole gone, gone on at the, at the retreat. If you're a, a teen and you hear the word retreat, you think fun. You think hanging out with friends. Check. Check. You don't often think about service, and sacrifice. And yet that's what uh, the, the plan was for our teens to participate in, along with having a great time together, not getting very much sleep, to go out and to serve in our community. The name of the retreat, if you didn't hear, was, was Love Works. And there's a lot of great, at least double entendre, a lot of great meaning in that little phrase, but, but, but love, love does it, it works. Like it, 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 it is good. It, it helps. It is functioning well in the world. And love does. Love works. Love is action in the world. And so to learn about what it means to live differently in the kingdom of God means to give of themselves in love and in, give of ourselves in sacrifice and in service. So our teens were out gleaning, picking oranges in the fields of Santa Barbara, to be donated to the food bank of Santa Barbara to get out into the hands and into the tummies, ultimately, of hungry folks in our city. Our teens were going down to the rescue mission to help serve and have a great time with the, the homeless who came in for the service and for the meal that night. This is what it looks like, not only to, it's one thing to live sacrificially among ourselves. That's hard, right? What would it look like for a church body just to say to one another, even in this moment, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about us. I, I'm not here to be served. I'm not showing up even to church so that I can get fed. I mean, it's okay to, 
to, to, to feast on the scriptures, but I'm not coming just to kind of consume church, not being a part of this body of believers just so I can kind of get some good feelings about what, what you know, is happening for me. I, I'm not coming to be served. I'm coming to serve. I'm showing up just to give of everything that I know I have and somehow find a place of connection and contribution to the overall purposes of God, to sacrifice myself within a body of Christ, to sacrifice what I think might be right, to sacrifice even the things that I I can really do well for the sake of God's purposes and plans being accomplished in us and through us. That's hard enough. But then for a body of Christ to say, we're going to get over all that and then together, and this is really where it happens, then together we are going to become the sacrificial, cruciform body of Christ in the world in which we live. We're not going to worry so much about what it is that happens here and how, how even... Uh, I'm careful how I say this. I hope you hear me right. How holy we're becoming. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-holiness, by the way. Make sure my district superintendent hears that. Uh, I'm definitely pro-holiness. But, but we're not going to be a body of Christ that sits around in this holy huddle and just sort of evaluates the level of holiness that's going on among us. But we're living together as sacrificially, cruciform pouring ourselves out, offering everything that we have and everything we are through our, through our giving, through our service, through our unity, through our testimony to the world in, in sacrifice and in giving. At the very least, Jesus' it will be different. It will be different among you. At the very least, That statement demands that we constantly examine our values. Wherever there are structures, wherever there are practices that are closer to the way that the world does things instead of the way that God's people do things, repentance and redirection is the order of the day. So we keep watching. We keep looking. As another writer said, the only kind of power that shall characterize The disciple community is the power of servanthood, of slavery, of sacrificing oneself for others. And so that which drove Jesus to the cross, his desire to give of everything that he was, is that which drives us into the world today. That which drove Jesus to the cross drives us to the world. We enter the world through the means of the cross. We live the life of Jesus. And in revealing the sacrifice of Jesus in the way that we live, we reveal Jesus to the world. And our sacrifice becomes our mission. And our sacrifice becomes our discipleship. And the more alive that we become, the more in touch with what it means to live a cruciform life, the more we reveal Christ 
into the world. Let's stand together, can we? I want to invite our worship team to come. We're going to sing a closing song about the love of God. The love of God that never fails. And I want us, even as we sing this song here in these moments, just to, to be thinking about that. That He has made a way. The Father has made a way in Jesus. We, we just simply do not want to take for granted the gift that God has given to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's here where redemption becomes available to us. And if you, for one reason or another, have, have not ever said to God, I want to receive the gift of forgiveness that comes and is made available to me because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you don't have to understand it all, but simply to say, I want to receive that gift of forgiveness. It's a gracious gift. We don't have to do a single thing. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. All we can do is receive it, that gracious, precious gift of forgiveness. Pray that prayer this morning, even as we sing. Invite God to forgive you and to come into your heart in a new and a powerful way. But I also want us, those who have prayed that prayer, those who know very deeply about the power of the cross to give salvation, I want us to think this morning about what it will look like now for the power of Christ to, or the power of the cross to, to drive us into the world in sacrifice, to drive us back into our families, setting aside our wants, setting aside our desires, and to give freely of ourselves, to drive us back into our neighborhoods, to drive us back into our workplaces, to celebrate that love that God has so given us, that Jesus so beautifully demonstrated to us, and then to live that out in the world. Let's sing together, and then I'll come and close us in time of prayer.